You're tuned in to the MBIT podcast, led by Seamus Madan. Economic and financial topics broken down, educating you on your financial journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MBIT podcast. I'm your host, Seamus Madan. Um, and today we have a special guest, Andrew Sather, co host of the Investing for Beginners podcast. How are you today, Andrew? I'm great. How are you, Shamus? I'm great. So let's transition to discuss saying what you should know before uh, beginning your investing journey and some tips for those of you who are already investing. First of all, a uh, quick disclaimer, the podcast is not financial advice and it's for informational purposes only. Investing is risky, so only, ri- uh, so only risk what you're willing to lose. Let's start with a widely discussed topic, uh, diversification. So what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think diversification is key. I mean, the idea of it is, you know, if you're talking about investing, what is investing? Basically, you're giving your money, you're trusting your money with a a company or a business or a person, and you're hoping to get money back in the future. And so the thing about the business world is very, very competitive. People are always trying to steal your lunch. So because of that, you could have the best business in the world and run into trouble next year because you have too many people um, basically competing away your profits. And so that's why uh, you just you have to split up your investments into multiple baskets. You kind of spread your risk that way. If any one thing happens, it doesn't destroy everything you've worked so hard to build. And I think the pandemic was a perfect example of that, of how something just so unexpected can happen. And it wiped out tons of businesses. And if you were not invested, you could have really been burned by that. Right. And do you believe there's a such thing as having uh, too much diversification in one's portfolio? Uh, It depends on what you're trying to do. So, I mean, if you're trying to be an investor who just buys and doesn't have to think about it ever again, um, you can just have exposure to the entire stock market or even the entire global market. Um, But if you're trying to get higher returns than kind of what everybody else is getting, then yeah, if, if you're too spread out, you're not going to be able to achieve higher returns. And, and, and so, you know, it, it really depends because you'll, you'll hear people and they talk about, you know, well, obviously the U.S. stock market was a great thing to be in. You should have just only been in the U.S. But, you know, the, just because the U.S. has been great for the last 80 years doesn't mean it's a guarantee for, for the future moving forward. Um, Same thing with like a country like Japan, where they used to have the best stock market, everybody wanted to be there. And then you fast forward 20, 30, 40 years, and it took, they had a really, really tough time. So it's hard to say, you know, what's the perfect point of diversification, because you could be too spread out and you could be overexposed to countries like Japan, or you could be um, maybe a little more concentrated and, and, and kind of that would hurt you too, you know, if you, if you make the wrong bet in the wrong country. I mean, for me personally, I, I live in the United States. I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm very comfortable with just diversifying within the United States. I have companies that make money in other countries, but I like to keep my investments here. Everybody has their own kind of things. So it really depends on kind of what you're trying to achieve. And so, you know, generally, the more you know about the stock market, the less you might have to diversify. But you still need to diversify because, like I said, business is so unpredictable that even the best business people, even the best businesses, they run into trouble. Yeah, excellent point there on uh, diversification. Um, Charlie Munger was actually once quoted saying, 
the idea of excess, uh, excessive diversification is madness. So basically what he was saying is investing in hundreds or thousands of companies can make it challenging for an individual investor to keep tabs on what's going on with each individual company, which is harder to get a return on your investment that way. All right, um, so how do you, how is uh, government spending affecting people's portfolio these days with uh, the government pumping like $3 trillion into the economy recently? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously having a big impact. Um, the thing about when you look at the economy and how it affects investors' portfolios, is it's 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 such an interconnected place and, and it's like it's like the way the world is and you know you can have events that are completely outside and in, in different parts of the country and they affect um so much and it's, it's just impossible to know how everything affects everything um there's so many people who are in business trying to make more money there's so many investors trying to make money and so you just have this huge system and, you know, the obvious answer is, yeah, we have plans for infrastructure spending. Um, I have a stock called um, Martin Marietta Materials, ticker MLM, and they've just gone gangbusters and ever since I bought it because um, they're, they're basically thought of as one of the companies that are really going to benefit from infrastructure spending. They do concrete and asphalt. And so, you know, those are building blocks of building out roads and cities and all of those sorts of things. But, you know, at the same time, um, you could have a lot of positive effects of government spending. You could have a lot of negative effects of government spending. And even though investors have their idea of what they think is going to happen, often what you think is, is really different from what the reality is. And so I haven't yet met anybody or read about anybody who has been good at predicting where the economy is going to go or how, you know, even like how an election determines which stocks are going to be good. You know, there's nobody with a good track record of that. So right. what you need to focus on as an investor is focus on the things you can control. So as an investor, even though I can't control what the government's going to do, I'm not going to be able to control what the implications of the government or the economy or the US dollar, I can't control any of that. But what you can control is the businesses that you choose to invest in. And so if you know that you have a good business, if you know it has a competitive advantage, if you know that you paid a good price for it, those are all things that are working together for you. And as those businesses grow, your investments will grow with them. And so that's, that's really the things that you can focus most on. I mean, I've had pockets in my portfolio that have done well from certain macro events. Other pockets haven't done so well. So you just try to build as balanced of a portfolio as you can. You know, I like how you you started with diversification because that's so, so key. You know, you don't want to yeah. get so caught up in the trees that you forget the forest. You really do want to build a balanced portfolio that can grow over time. And, you know, having good knowledge of the businesses within that is just as key as well. Yeah. And uh, recently, Yellen uh, called for more aggressive spending. So what are your, what are your thoughts on that? So, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily have a position one way or the other. I will say that um, the government spending, the government debt, these all have, they play big roles in how interest rates move. And by interest rates, I'm particularly talking about the interest rates in this country. So it's a huge, long discussion, you know, we could, 
it, it is important in the sense that, you know, interest rates set everything that happens within the financial world. So whether you're talking about the basic building blocks of the economy, where, you know, what fuels the economy is people spending and businesses investing and growing. And so when interest rates are low, people are more likely to spend, you get more home purchases, but not only that, you also on the lending side, you get a lot of small business loans, which allows companies to grow and expand. And when interest rates are higher, they're not, banks are not willing to lend out as much. That means companies aren't willing to grow as much. They're not willing to hire as much. You can see it's all this virtuous cycle. It all affects itself. And then at the same time, what makes it very confusing is that, you know, not only is it a U.S. economy, we have a global economy. And so what we do inside of the U.S. affects what happens around the world and vice versa. And so one thing that makes the U.S. different than everybody else is that we have the world reserve currency. And what that means is it's the currency that all the other worlds basically are attached to. And they all um, a lot of countries transact in it and it's 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 everywhere. And and the, the, the currencies are attached to it. And so what how how our government chooses to spend and, and get into debt affects how our standing is with other currencies. And that moves interest rates, too, because you have um, big institutions, you know, like pension funds. Um, you know, you can think of, you know, the pension funds, the trust funds, um, even mutual funds, hedge funds, anything to do with like large institutional money. They are figuring out where they want to put that money. And so based on where they put it, it changes interest rates. And so investors will go into the dollar, they'll go out of the dollar. And, and part of that does have to do with government spending and government debt. And so on the one side, you can make the argument that government spending when interest rates is low is very good because when interest rates are low, we don't have to pay as much interest on it. So that's very good. And if it can, if it can efficiently grow the economy, stimulate the economy, that's also very good. On the flip side, though, when you take that to an extreme and you borrow or your government borrows or spends more than they should reasonably do, then you start to get invest investors who, who move away from the dollar and that will, that will drive interest rates up and that can slow things down within our economy. And so you saw, you know, throughout the beginning of 2021, what happened when, when the main um, interest rate, which is the 10-year treasury, when that rose from below one to now it's around 1.6, huge pockets of the market got destroyed, particularly the high growing tech stocks. And so, you know, you have part of that is because they see economic slowdown when interest rates rise. Part of that is the way they value these companies is based on interest rates. It's really an amazing thing because interest rates really are the single biggest factor that drives everything. And we're, most of us are not even aware of it. But again, even though it's such a centralized factor, there's so many other things in play that it's impossible to predict where it's going to go. It's impossible to predict how any single movement will benefit, you know, business over here, or business over there. What you can try to do is build a portfolio that's, you know, healthy in the sense that it can, it can do good either way. So I have, as an example, I just added a big position in a bank stock. And those will tend to do better when interest rates rise because they make their money on the spread for borrowing and lending. Um, I also have some tech stocks in my portfolio and those have done better when interest rates have gone down. 
So you want to have some balance again, goes back to the diversification. Um, and you know, that's something that it's, it's very interesting to follow, very interesting to watch. But I think in the grand scheme of things, investor efforts are better spent looking at businesses and understanding what makes those businesses great rather than, you know, what's going to happen with this huge government spending. Right. And uh, on the topic of currency, uh, what do you think there's a place for uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or, or is there only a place for things like Bitcoin, but not the meme currencies like Dogecoin? You know, there could be a place um, and there could be a place for any of those. It could be Bitcoin. It could be any of the meme currencies. We don't know. And so what scares me when I hear about the way that people promote these different coins is I know Doge is, is more of a joke than anything. But, you know, when you talk to the Ethereum people, you talk to the Bitcoin people, they are convinced that like this is the way. And the reality, the truth is we, we really don't know. It's, it's still such in its early stages. There's a lot of benefits to a lot of these cryptos, but there's also an incredible amount of uncertainty. And so where I stand personally on the whole crypto conversation is that, look, okay, say, say we switch to Bitcoin one day, say we don't, but let's say we do, all right? If I have a collection of 20 great businesses, they're once transacting in the US dollar, they now transact in Bitcoin, I'm still going to do fine whether US dollar or Bitcoin wins. You know, I have... I'm going to do a lot better than people who put all of their money in the Bitcoin and let's say it's Ethereum instead of Bitcoin. Those people will have nothing left. Right. So, you know, you, you have a lot of arguments. You can make the argument that you can have a hedge. That's fine. Um, but for me personally, I, I love to think of an investment as let me get a reliable return on my capital right. and dividend paying stocks do that already. And you don't have to sacrifice much. I mean, you can find great businesses that pay a dividend. And so you don't have to, you know, deal with a bunch of volatility, uncertainty. Like when I look at um, a great company example would be like Target. I'm not worried about what's happening at Target in the next two, three, five years, because I know how many people love going to Target and how many people go to Target trying to spend $5 and they end up leaving the store with like 50 or hundred bucks out of the pocket because they just have so many cool things there. And it's, it's, it's really becoming like a one-stop shop. And so whatever happens with Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or the U S dollar or even government spending, I, I know I'm going to get a pretty decent return on my capital with that company over the long term, as long as they execute on what they do best. And what, what target does best is they bring customers in, they provide them with really great products and at a pretty good price. And it's a really great store experience. And that's what they do. And, and Target doesn't really try to go outside of that. That's what I love about them. You know, they don't try to conquer the world. And I think when you look at a lot of businesses that get into trouble, if you look over history, it's the ones that really overextended themselves, got too arrogant, tried to grow too fast. Those are the ones that do bad. The ones that do good kind of stay in their lane. They know what they're good at. And so if you can identify those, then you don't have to worry about what Bitcoin is doing. I mean, the volatility for that has been insane. And um, there's still no guarantee that there will be returns for an asset like that in five or 10 years. Yeah, especially important point on the volatility, uh, because it also could be compared to two other events in history, which would be the dot-com bubble and uh, tulip mania, both 
in which were thought to be the future of either websites or technology or in the and a while ago flowers right so it we don't actually know where it's heading and it's important to keep that in mind i love that you brought up the tulip mania because it was literally like a financial instrument back then they substituted it for currency so yeah it has a lot of parallels with what we see today yeah and finally, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, meme stocks? I know we touched on this a little bit in the last question, but yeah. I think it's it's really fun to watch. Uh, you know what I love about the meme stocks is that it's gotten so many people interested in the market who never even gave it a shot before. And so you have a ton of people opening accounts. And it's not just with like Robinhood, because that's kind of the stereotype is a bunch of people opening Robinhood accounts. But uh, a broker like Charles Schwab, one of the leaders in the industry, they've just seen crazy explosion in brokerage accounts because people just, they want to get in. And so, you know, you got to love the story of, you know, trying to basically empower the everyday person, the average person. And I love that message. That's what we try to do on our show. You know, um, we're, we're just a couple of guys, me and my co-host, Dave Ahern, just a couple of guys, a couple of self-taught guys. And we really believe that anybody can be in the stock market and it doesn't take you being in some elite club. And, and the meme stocks have kind of proved that of how you've had a lot of people who have never touched stocks and they've gotten in and they've gotten interested and you have people starting to learn about these businesses. And when you start to learn about some of the numbers behind these businesses, it's, it's, it is complex at the same time. It's not, it's not too complex where you can't, bite off a little bit every single day, you know? So like, if we think about, you look at a mortgage and you buy, you know, you take out money for a mortgage. And so you, you owe the bank a bunch of money. And then as you pay it off, you, you earn equity on it. And so with businesses, it's the same way. They have these assets, they have liabilities, they have equity. And so we just need to know where to find those things, profits, same thing. And then you start to build on your knowledge from there. You might make money on the meme stocks. You might not. Um, but my hope is that enough of those people who are interested now can start to get interested in learning about it. Cause then I think if, if you get in a situation, you build a system for yourself where you have a diversified portfolio, right? You have exposure. That's, that's going to help you no matter where interest rates go, no matter what the government does, no matter what happens to the currency, that's what a diversified, strong portfolio can do for you. And the results on the back end can just be astounding. I mean, the numbers behind even like a 10% average return per year or 11%, you can, you can easily turn, you can easily have a million dollars from an 11% return with something as small as $150 a month. That's what I talk about all the time with the e-leather. And so it's really small amounts and you're just putting money away, letting it go to work and then letting that build on itself. That's how you'll really see great, great results from investing. And so while it's not as flashy as the meme stocks are, it is a lot more reliable and it yeah. makes me feel good when I get into companies like that, because I'm able to sleep at night and I'm able to know that a lot of my subscribers are too. Yeah. And uh, especially with, I think it was like 10 million new brokerage accounts were actually opened in uh, 2020. And with all those new brokerage accounts, it's important that there's a high level of investor education. Um, and a key takeaway here is uh, no matter the amount of money you're investing, whether that be $1,000 or $100,000, the lessons in what you learn remain the same. So the only difference is actually what you end up losing. Yeah. 
Great point. Yeah. And then we're going to end it with some uh, tips from Warren Buffett, uh, which would be number one, invest like you are buying the entire company. Uh, the second one would be avoid, it, avoid acting on emotion, like a lot of these meme stocks are, um, and instead on informed decisions. And finally, the quote, which is price is what you pay and value is what you get. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for today's episode. Thanks for joining us on MBIT. And thank you, Andrew, for taking some time to be on the pod. It was a pleasure. And I hope to have you back in the future. I appreciate it. A lot of fun. Disclaimer, the MBIT podcast is reflecting the opinion of only the host. The podcast is for informational purposes only. The podcast is also not a research report. It is not a recommendation to purchase or sell any stocks, holdings, or securities. The podcast is also not meant to serve as the basis of any investment decision.